This is an RNZ podcast. Good three, rail plus five, and they're off. Trudeau begin well. Kia and welcome to Insight. Call Philip Atari Tene. Once a staple of New Zealand society, horse racing is now dying. Fewer people are going to the track and less money is being gambled on the horses at the TAB. But the government has a plan and reforms first revealed last year are now taking shape. They include plans to close more than 20 tracks and to outsource the TAB to major foreign bookmakers. Max Toll has been travelling around the country and he's been finding out if the industry's devotees are happy with such revolutionary change. It's race day in New Plymouth and the club lounge is chocker. Punters are chewing on pies and filling their plates with food from the portable roasting oven. Well, we're new to racing, so we, um, my husband and I got into a syndicate. We got a, a 10% share in a horse called Tihana about five years ago. And as we all know, a good horse can change your life. It can take you places around the world, and um, sometimes they can even make you money. What brings you here today? Oh, the love of racing. Why do you love it so much? Because I've been involved with it all my married life. But I do love horses. I've always loved horses. My brother is having a birthday, and so he's invited us along. So we thought, well, let's come as a family and have a good day out. It'll be lovely to see the horses racing. Yeah. What's the thrill what's the of it? Well, winning some money would be really good. <laughs> if, you, if you genuinely love horses and realise just how much work's gone into their race days and the people behind racing that's through their love of horses. Yes. I don't think it'll ever change. But change is inevitable and horse racing in New Zealand has been dying a slow death for years. Dotted around the country are crumbling grandstands and overgrown grass at tracks that only host a handful of races each year. Not at New Plymouth though, where the first race of the afternoon is about to get underway. The chief executive of Taranaki Racing, Kerry Hobbs, leans over a railing and admires the course. Well, I've been 32 years in the job, so I'm a racing tragic. Uh, sure, racing's not the fabric of, of, of society than it used to be 50 years ago where you had rugby racing and beer, I suppose, but uh, it, it's still a place and uh, it's great to see a, a young crowd here and all the ladies dressing up and all the guys watching them and they're dressed up close. <laughs> in terms of, well, racing's really at the crossroads, Max, in, in that uh, we haven't uh, adapted to the changes. And what do you think is yep. the biggest, biggest thing that the industry needs to happen? More funding. Uh, and, and that's on, on many, many um, fronts. For a start, our state money hasn't anywhere uh, kept up with inflation. Uh, it's still very, very... Uh, very difficult to get new owners because it's that hard a game. A local's going to win the first, mate, so everyone will be happy. That's a young girl, Hazel Chofer, that's uh, in her first year of riding, uh, and she's just won the first. Armalite still in front of Gamalite, but they're almost on terms, turning for home. Armalite the inside and Gamalite the outside, and hands down up three wide. Rugby, racing and beer. That might sound a bit simplistic, but certainly horse racing has always held an important place in our history. It's still a $1.6 billion industry, 
employing about 14,000 people and involving 10,000 volunteers. But it's an industry that was once worth close to two billion. The prize money going to owners is now worth less than a quarter of their costs. Attendance is dwindling. The number of people going to the track has fallen by more than 20% in the past six years and fewer races are being run. The owners are getting older and the number of foals being produced each year is falling. But most importantly, the gamblers, the punters who essentially fund the industry, are spending less on the horses. And an increasing number of those who do are betting at overseas bookmakers and the industry is losing out. New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing's chief executive, Bernard Saundry, says the sport hasn't kept up with changing times. We know we can't get people to the track to every race meeting. The market has changed, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. There was no off-course betting, there was no digital technology, there was no racing on TV, and people used to go to the races all the time, Monday to Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But the dynamics have changed, the customer preferences have changed. People's time is, is more precious now because they've got to focus not just on rugby and, uh, and racing, they've now got another 15 sports that they can engage in. The Awapuni Racecourse in Palmerston North is run by Race Incorporated. This is a group of amalgamated Lower North Island clubs. The chief executive, Alastair Robertson, shows me where a new synthetic track will soon be installed, part of a drive to diversify and make the venue more viable, and the all-important stables where horses nibble on grass in the sun. If you think back, 1910, 1930, um, a club in a provincial New Zealand town was the heart and soul of the community. It really was. It would have been the community hall, it would have been everything. And now, to be honest, if you go into those regions and ask how many members are there, you'd be shocked how few there are. You'd ask how many community actually come to your race days, you'd be shocked how few do. The Minister of Racing, Winston Peters, is an old-school racing type. He remembers the days when he was a child and would ride a horse to school and tie it up in the paddock behind the building. And so, when he took over the portfolio in 2017, he set himself a mammoth task. He declared he would shake up the industry, save it from stagnation and a slow death. But it was never going to be easy. I don't want to come with a blame game here. I've made up my mind that as a sort of vignette ministry or portfolio, we're going to take hold of racing and fix it up and put it on a pathway in the same way as it has successfully been prosecuted as an industry in Ireland and New South Wales. New South Wales went through that whole experience that we're going through some time ago. But they took the hard decisions, and now they're thriving. Where are our great races? He commissioned an Australian racing guru, John Massara, to review the industry, and just over a year ago he delivered a report that rocked racing to its core. The report said horse racing was at a tipping point and the country had far too many tracks. He recommended that over the next few years, 28 of the country's 48 thoroughbred tracks should close. That included Harwada, Wairoa and Timaru, Winton and Stratford. His thinking was close these mostly country tracks and pour more money into the big centres, such as the Rickertons and the Ellerslies. But the small clubs aren't buying it, and they don't plan to go quietly. It's shearing day for Simon Williamson at his station near Twizel. He runs the Kurao Jockey Club. 
Kurau is your typical country track, where crowds line the fence clutching race books and betting slips on its one summer race day a year. It's also another country track slated to close in the coming years. It defies logic to me. Um, the guts of racing, you know, we've proved that 80% or 90% of people's first experience of racing is at a country meeting. And for whatever the reasons are, they're not going to those big race days. Um, you know, they'll go to Cup Week and they'll um, they'll go to the Saturday of Grand National down here. But you go to Rickerton on a weekday and there's no one there. Whereas you've got a day like Kurau that's doing $140,000, $150,000 on course. He can't fathom why smaller tracks should have to close to make the bigger ones more sustainable. The trouble with Kurau and, and a lot of racetracks around about, it's not only a race course. It's, it's the community sports hub. The rugby club have got their headquarters on the same buildings. The school use it, um, the pony club use it. All, all, it's the only place in the valley that, that everyone uses as a, as a recreational hub. I just don't get the point of, of, of closing those clubs. And the, the 5,000 people that race on the 30th at Kurau will not travel to Omaru to go to the races. That's a sentiment the former Central Otago Mayor and President of the Central Otago Racing Club, Tony Lepper, supports. While acknowledging his club is making a slight loss, he says closing tracks like Ormaco is going to turn the sport into a paint-by-numbers product. I mean, I go to the races, you know, midweek, and there's no-one on the race courses. You know everyone by name. So if you constantly race at Wingatui and Rickerton, um, you will get people there on premier days, but on the other days you won't. You won't, I mean, it's just the same horses going around in circles where, you know, you go to the different racetracks, they've all got their own peculiarities. I mean, I've had horses they only win at Riverton, you know, so we go and chase races at Riverton. And I think it's really important for the... For, for racing to succeed, to be introducing new people all the time. And if we can get five, 6,000 holidaymakers to the race course, then some of those people will go on to be owners. I spoke to several country racing people who also had a problem with the way John Massara decided which tracks should close. He didn't go. He sent a, he sent a couple of disciples here and they stood up in the grandstand and had a look at him and all they could see was dollar signs because they thought they'd be able to sell us and take the money. They were here for 10 minutes. They had a look around. The decisions with regards to the Masara reports were made long before they um, they made their visit to the venues. There's no doubt about that. Well, absolutely nothing. They never come to Omicau. Um They went to Gore for about five minutes and moved on. I think it's been a paper exercise and it certainly hasn't been a um, let's go and talk to the individual clubs and see where their thinking is. John Massara himself didn't want to comment on how he came to his recommendations, but Winston Peters says the good and bad tracks are obvious. I know some of these racetracks, I know some of the administrators, and I can walk onto a track and tell you what the success story is going to be by one, by some of the very visual, obvious uh, levels of physical performance. Does this outfit look like it's a machine? And I've seen those machines, and they're exciting. Otaki Mari is a classic example. Uh, I can go to Kumara and see a race course that was saved where the place is massively alive. And that's why, uh, you know, it's worth keeping those, those industries alive. But there's some parts where they're just they're dying and there's no way they can be revived. At the beginning of the year, New Zealand Thoroughbred Racing released its future venue plan, which confirmed the tracks that would no longer be given licences for race meetings. Bernard Saundry argues that not everyone can be satisfied. 
if you look at Wira, it costs nearly um, to send the broadcast equipment up there thirty nine thousand dollars, plus a, the club funding of thirty seven and a half thousand dollars, plus prize money of eighty thousand dollars. Well, when that show rolls into town and the funding's provided directly to that club, we'd expect the club to generate some income off the investment made, and that's what we're asking. And we've seen over the last five to ten years where clubs do embrace that and do see a commercial return. Taupo's a great example. But other clubs that haven't taken advantage of that. You know, if I take the bottom of the South Island, we've got uh, Winton, Gore, Invercargill, Riverton. Those four within 30 minutes of each other. After track closures, the next step recommended the selling of freehold land, with the proceeds to be spent on the remaining tracks. Now, this raises a few legal questions. This is freehold land, after all, often in the name of racing clubs. So to get around this, the Masara report proposed the vesting of the ownership of freehold racecourse land and club assets in New Zealand thoroughbred racing. In other words, giving NZTR the power to sell land in the name of racing clubs. The sale of Avondale's land alone could generate between $100 and $200 million dollars. Again, the result is outrage, up and down the country. Here's Carl Stratton of Egmont Racing Club at Harwara. Us and Stratford were privately owned freehold land, and they thought they were going to be able to pass legislation. They'd sell us up and the money would go to the parent body, which is NZTR or NZRB. But that's theft. It's a lot of Mugabe stuff. We could race anywhere. If they don't want us to race here at Harwara for some reason or not, we'll just we'll keep our land and be a training and... and in trial centre and we'll be the richest little country club in the country and we'll race it wherever we want with our race days. They're just going to take our race days away from our venue, not actually our race days. Simon Williamson at Kurao. Well, you know, they will fight it tooth and nail. It's a bit like walking around Auckland and saying we're going to close every second golf club. Compulsory, you know, there'll be a human outcry. And Tony Lapper at Omaco. We would fight tooth and nail if someone thinks that they can take freehold assets off us and move them somewhere else where they think racing could be better and brighter. But the report argues the sale of land is critical to improving the course and facilities at other tracks. It describes the look of New Zealand racing as shabby. Bernard Saundry at NZTR says there are clubs that don't even have toilets that are up to scratch. In June, Winston Peters opened the starting gate on turning the Masara Report's recommendations into legislation. The first racing bill was brought in in June introducing new taxes on offshore bookmakers and reducing the duties the industry has to pay the government. A second bill is expected any time now, and just about everyone in the industry expects it will provide a blueprint for closures and potentially how that freehold land can be forcibly sold. This may require changes to the Racing Act. Winston Peters is coy about the bill, but says clubs are still being encouraged to see sense. Well, look, these people are all, in the main... Practical businessmen and women. What do they do when their business is in a failure, a, a rut, other than to dream of ways to turn it around? And they should have never left off doing that with respect to the industry. Okay, I'm from Waikikamukau, for example, and I've got a race course and I love racing. And I've got a race course here which is obsolete. What would I want to do with that? If I'm a true racing person, I'd want to make a contribution to racing to keep the industry I love alive. Alastair Robertson at Awapuni says people need to think of the greater good. We might be very different than a lot of other clubs. So we are an amalgamation of five clubs here who all sold their venues and, and came together as one for efficiency. So we're a micro-model of 
of the bigger NZTR plan. But we see ourselves as custodians of the asset for the industry. We do not see ourselves as owners of it, even though it's in freehold title in the name of the Incorporated Society, uh, Race Incorporated. That's a very different view from other clubs, and the nimbyism is very strong in the industry, uh, and we think that has to be stopped. He says money needs to be better spent. You're never going to get people to the track at all, even your ageing regulars, if you provide them a poor experience. And by that I mean facilities, food, comfort, location, place to go, whatever. Through that consolidation process, you start to find out that instead of having, I don't know, we'll call it a million dollars to invest in 51 clubs, you've now got a million dollars to invest in 20 clubs, hey, suddenly you have, by definition, got a prioritisation and improvement starting to happen. But you can't provide just any rubbish product, you've got to provide consistent product. Because I can tell you, you know, I know, I know Australian um, gamblers and they're just Joe Blows, they spend $25 million a year, that's the sort of turnover they do. Um, but they will not bet on a bloody poor maiden field on a heavy 11, you know, with slippery tracks. But getting people like Carl Stratton at Harwater to voluntarily close and sell up isn't going to be easy. We're of firm belief that uh, the idea is right. Racing industry is in deep turmoil and it's going down the gurgler and, and there's a decline in horses, decline in breeders, decline in everything. Nobody's making any money. But closing tracks that are freehold tracks, that cost them nothing to run, to run their industry days, they really need us. We're a race course and we want to have races. We're not going to go quietly, but I don't think we'll have to. I think common sense will prevail in the end. And if they do decide that we are finished, um, the racehorse numbers and personnel in Taranaki will, will halve. Tony Lapper has similar fears. Unless they tell us what's going to be in this bill before they decide what's going to be in the bill, then our only recourse will be able to oppose it politically. And I've assured everyone that um, I know in Wellington that if there is this nationalisation of our assets, um, which is what I call it, it will be opposed politically. And I'm mean, I'm certainly got had some support amongst national people, and I'm pretty sure I can get support amongst the other parties because that just wouldn't be on if they think they could take our assets and move it somewhere. For Simon Williamson at Kurau, the move could amount to a final blow. It'll be the death nail of racing. In the south or in New Zealand? Or... Well, probably New Zealand. To be honest, it'll be the south for a start. But but all of those clubs that we talk about, Otago, Southland, Canterbury, Canterbury not so much because they're so close to Christchurch, but the southern clubs, um, all of those committees, members race a lot of horses, own a lot of horses, and you talk to them and they're not going to go, they'll just give up. And if they really, if they're going to go to Christchurch, why wouldn't you go to Australia or have a, a horse and work somewhere else if you're not going to be able to, you know, race at your home? I'm Max Toll, and you're listening to an insight on moves to sell off tracks to save the racing industry. Racing and gambling have always gone hand in hand. It's gone from the days of bookmakers running gambling at courses in the 1870s to the introduction of totalizators, then the creation of the TAB in 1950 and onto the internet and the ability to place a bet with the push of a button. 
If there were two key recommendations in the Masara report, the second, after closures, was his proposal that the commercial activities of the TAB should be outsourced, and that means offshore. This, of course, would be revolutionary for gambling in New Zealand. The report states that the TAB isn't at a level where it can compete with its overseas competitors. The proposals call for better technology, both in terms of gambling online and on course, and suggest piggybacking on a bigger foreign operator with more resources. And Winston Peters agrees. We want to grab the best that's available internationally, adopt it with New Zealand features and get going. There have been rumours in the industry about Australian mega companies like Tabcorp and Sportsbet being potential bidders for a 20 or 25 year licence. But Winston Peters is again coy. We look at the big picture of what we do, which maximises the return for the New Zealand industry, uh, is something that they're working on as we speak, and I can't give you an answer on that. But what is our objective? What have our objective? Well, it's not uh, unsubtle. It is pure, unbridled nationalism in our economic interest and our industry's interest. We're going to do our best to ensure that any of this gambling that happens with respect to our industry benefits New Zealand. Bernard Saundry at Thoroughbred Racing says outsourcing is necessary, even if he wouldn't necessarily use that word. Rather than outsource, I think the word is partnering and joint venturing with an international wagering operator. The reality is New Zealand lacks scale. And um, we need international wagering operators with equipment and capital to invest into the New Zealand economy. And I'd like nothing more to see a wagering presence in every pub and club across New Zealand. Alastair Robertson says the immediate opportunity would be to reduce costs at the TAB's operator, the New Zealand Racing Board, which has been temporarily renamed the Racing Industry Transition Agency, or RITA, perhaps an easier name to get to know. The cost structures are enormous. You know, we're an industry where the thoroughbreds total stakes is just over $50 million. And yet the operating costs of New Zealand Racing Board is well in excess of that. You try and think of any other business that operates on that upside-down model. It's crazy. And to give you a a really scary uh, uh, metric that you might make sense of, it's public knowledge, but in 2013, the New Zealand Racing Board had 70 people earning over $100,000 a year. And that meant $11.44 million. Five years later, in 2018, they had 143 people earning $21.4 million. Now, 10 million increase in an industry where you've got trainers going broke and the total stakes is $50 million, it just doesn't add up. But some in the industry aren't happy. Ian McKelvey is National's racing spokesperson and sums up some of the concern, especially the idea that the gambling industry here would essentially be owned and run from offshore. We're a very small country in New Zealand and, and I don't know whether we're best controlled from overseas. I think that we're capable of running our own ship, basically, and I think that we probably should think very seriously before we change that uh, way that operates because once you're operated from overseas, it becomes a very interesting issue. And it's ironic to some extent that a minister who's, uh, who's completely opposed to foreign banks or has been opposed to foreign banks is in favour of another foreign bank taking over our TAB, so to speak. The Racing Board, or RITA, wouldn't speak to Insight, but directed us to an earlier statement that conceded it fell behind its projected budget and forecast projections for the past year. RITA says it is investigating outsourcing its commercial activities, while the government works on legislative changes that would allow this. 
In the meantime, it's also seeking approval for new gambling products and betting options to be available to New Zealanders, which is something that worries the problem gambling foundation's Andre Froda. Racing has been around for a really long time, and a lot of people enjoy racing. And it's not that we're anti-gambling, because we're not. We're anti the harm. So we're always going to focus on, on that harm. In terms of having a little bit of sympathy about, about that, yes, we fully understand that. But when it comes to, to harm minimisation and they're looking to Australia, you know, Australians are the biggest gamblers per head of population in the world. And some of the things that have gone on there and the amount of um, gambling problems that they're seeing and with sports betting, kids as young as 10 that can actually tell you what the odds are on certain games when, you know, sports betting. You know, is that where we're looking to? Is that what we want to see happen in this country? After speaking to people in racing, from small tracks to the administrators to Winston Peters, Perhaps the only thing everyone can agree on is that this is a fractious industry that needs to come together quickly in some shape or other in order to survive. And perhaps, as Alastair Robertson at Awapuni suggests, it just needs to start thinking a little differently. He says, for instance, at Wellington Cup Day last year, his group Race established an independent festival zone. One of the things that, that conservative thinking racing does is it's difficult to attract young people because they like music and noise and they scare horses. Well, you have to work around that, actually. And even Flemington on Melbourne Cup Day now, this year, for the first time ever, has an all-day concert act. Um, and unbelievably, they've got Taylor Swift performing. Now, we couldn't afford her, but last year we had Sons of Zion and Saatchi, and this year we've got Stan Walker doing a full 90-minute concert in Lady Six with support acts. So I would guess that 80% of the people in that concert area won't go and see a horse. I can assure you that there's 100,000 people on Melbourne Cup Day and if 10,000 see a horse, that'd be a miracle. <laughs> As for Winston Peters, he's feeling the strain of the portfolio. Well, I can say that this industry, which used to be a bit of a um, vignette for ministers in the past, has been an enormously arduous and difficult project for a whole lot of people because we're trying to turn around 40 years of neglect and to do it in a blisteringly short time. Don't forget, from the time we finally got the Massar report to putting this in place, it'll be little over a year. And personally, it's obviously an important... Well, I want, look, I want to put the structure in place to make this industry a success again, and I'll be enormously relieved when I can spend more time on other portfolios because I'm spending too much on this one. And back at New Plymouth Raceway, Kerry Hobbs has sympathy for the discontented. Fifty years ago, there was a in, in every little town there was a dairy factory, and and there's not any more. I know it's really really hard, but I think regional solutions the way to go. The clubs have got to get together. They've got to look at the future and say, hey, the status quo is not going to work. We haven't got the money for 47 venues, and and I know it's really difficult for someone to lose their identity and lose the track they race in. Uh, it, there's still a real strong place in, in society and the community for racing, uh, but we can't just automatically expect what we're doing for the last century to work. He says the industry is at a crossroads and needs to do something now before it withers and dies. That programme was written and presented by Max Toll. 
If you'd like to podcast other Insight programs, you can head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Insight page on the RNZ website, or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Insight hears the stories of those who've struggled with the life-threatening illness, rheumatic fever. I'm Philip Tony, and that's all from Insight for today. Great to have you with us, and do join us again next time.